Welcome back to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here, uh, joined by my partner in crime, my colleague, Brandon Jones. Brandon Jones, how are you today? I'm feeling uh, cr- partner. I'm feeling criminal. Partner, nice. partner in crimey. Yeah, crimey. Yeah. Um, I'm doing great. Uh, thanks. Uh, it's great to be back here. Uh, we're recording this in early November, as yes. early in November as can be. I think the show will drop in a little bit. Um, and it's like it's warm again in New York City. It's, so it's warm again in New York City, but it's towards the end of 2018. That's true. It's time to start reflecting back on the year that has passed. The good news is that we've got a friend to talk to who can help us reflect on uh, the year that has come has 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 come by, and also maybe if we're lucky, get some uh, some inklings, uh, some some hints, if you will, into uh, what may be coming in the future. So. Uh, Brandon and I are very happy to welcome uh, Rohit Bargava, the founder of the non-obvious company, to the show. Uh, Rohit, thanks for joining us. You are very welcome. And, and uh, I think it's, if I can say, it's a welcome back again. Yes. Right? Rohit, I think you are our first three-time guest ever on Trending in Education. He's right up there. Nancy Sanchez might be the other one, but yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, I'm feeling yeah. like I'm in a very good company. You're it's elite. One of those, uh, yeah, yeah we, we like having you and our listeners like having you on the show. I think that you're, the shows that you have been on have been among our more popular ones. Correct. Yeah, because uh, Rohit, you founded the non, non-obvious company nine years ago. Well, the company's not that old, but the report is that old. Got it. So, so you founded a, yes. this, uh, this report, which, yes. uh, you know, we're uh, trending in education, uh, titular line. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> tre- trending in education, we try to understand what's happening in education, learning, media, all that kind of stuff. You've been tracking this uh, professionally uh, for the last nine years, publishing a yearly report. Um, what's that been like? Like, and how- you know, it's uh, it's funny. I describe it, um, and my fellow authors kind of say the same thing, which is I do the dumbest thing any author can possibly do, which is I take the same book and I rip out thirty percent of it and I rewrite it every year. Right. Um, which, if you think about it, as a as an author of a book, is a pretty dumb thing to do, <laughs> because you only have a year long window to sell the book. Right. Um, this it's got the year printed on the cover. For sure. Which is a uh, you know self extinguishing choice. Right. Because <laughs> nobody wants the 2017 report now. Right. Right. Um, and so it puts pressure on you, right? Because every year you got to come up with brand new trends, and uh, they are brand new. Right. Uh, and. The discipline required in order to be able to do that, I think, has been a challenge, but it also motivates me Yeah. Um, because I always have to see what's new. I always have to consume more than anyone else is consuming when it comes to news and media. And every week, I, as you know, I do this newsletter where I share the most interesting stories of the week. And part of the reason I do that is uh, the same reason you kind of have your withholding tax every week from your paycheck. Otherwise, at the end of the year, you'd be like, oh, I owe how much? Right. Like, I'm not going to be able to do that. Right, right. And it, it, it sort of reinforces the idea that it's not, uh, you know, every November, uh, you know, you, you sort of try to conjure up this vision of the future and then magically, you know, the oracle imparts on the rest of us the predictions for the year. It's more about an ongoing mindset. And then the fact that, you know, November is the end of the year, January is the beginning of the year, it's the right time to curate and collect all those ideas yeah. and then say, here's what I see coming the year ahead. But like, you're, you're a professional uh, futurist, trend curator, like how, how would you characterize? Yeah, what- I am. Um, you know, I've met a lot of futurists um, and I respect the way that they think and what they do, but I don't really call myself a futurist mm-hmm. um, because most of the futurists I know will tell you what will happen in 2050. 
Right. You know, they look far into the future. Sure. Um, and that's a skill uh, to be able to see like very, very light signals of something and see it in the future. Me, I look at things every year and I'm much more kind of practical because I think that a trend that I'll identify for 2019 is already sort of happening right now. It's just most people aren't paying attention to it. Right. And so you can do something with that. Like if I told you we had would have flying cars um, that would be controlled by your uh, by your eyeballs in 2050, you'd be like, that's cool. But you know, I mean, what do you do with that right now? Right. I don't know. <laughs> Unless you happen to be building one of those, right? If you're a visionary, then great. But most people, they don't know what to do with this. So it becomes kind of like future tourism, right? right. You're like kind of thinking about the future, but there's nothing really you can do with it. Right. Whereas most of what I do is if you knew what was going to come right around the corner by paying attention to these small signals and you could get better at doing it yourself, or you could read a book like this where it tells you what some of the trends will be, then you can better prepare and you can get your company ready for that future. You can get yourself ready for that future. You can figure out, I mean, I, I'm guessing most of the people who are listening to the show, I mean, they'd categorize themselves as lifelong learners. Correct. And when someone's a lifelong learner, like this is the sort of stuff you're looking for, mm-hmm. right? The inspiration to say, oh, you know, that connection over there and something that's been happening over there and you put it together with something happening over here. Like now you start to see a pattern emerge. And to me, it's all about like recognizing those patterns. Sure. And you, uh, and you make the distinction between uh, a fad and a trend. Yeah. A fad is really, uh, it's like orange is the hot new color of this, like burnt orange is like the hottest color right now, you know, like, and it'll affect fashion. Maybe there'll be like a couple of, um, Ottomans that are that color or pumpkin spice lattes perhaps yeah, exactly yeah. right and those things tend to be fads because they they take over one industry or one little vertical everyone's talking about them and then they kind of spike and they go away right whereas a trend a lot of times what i uh describe as a trend is uh, i call it a curated observation of the accelerating present and the accelerating present is important because it's happening right now and it's accelerating mm-hmm. And the curated observation is important. And I use this word curation quite a lot because I'm inspired by museum curators. Because if you think about it, like in a museum, they'll have hundreds of pieces of art, but they don't put them all on the walls. They choose which ones they're going to put on the walls. And then they tell you a story about that. Mm -hmm. And I imagine what we could do if we treated ideas like that. If we curated our ideas, then we could see the patterns between them and we could start to describe things that I call trends and trends to me, explain behaviors, they explain the way we think, what we buy, what we sell. Mm-hmm. Um, they're much bigger. Yeah. And and your background is uh, more like advertising and marketing. Yeah, that's right. So, so a lot of these trends are, uh, they come out of trying to understand what are consumers looking for? Behavior, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, marketing, good marketing and advertising is based on understanding behavior and persuasion and psychology. Right. Right. I mean, that's what it does effectively. Now, sometimes it does it in evil ways. Right. right? But um, that is what it's all about. And yeah. I think that that's still at the heart of what I do now. It's understanding how people think. Yeah. I think the thing that um, I think all is interesting. I think one thing is that, you know, as you said, every year you're signing on for 30% new. It's also non-obvious. I mean, it's in the, it's in the title of the book. It's in the title of the company. You, you have to, um, hold yourself to a standard where you're not just finding things that other people have found. Right. right. And that's where your, your yeah. curation, um, that's where you're applying your unique brand. Um, I think that's, that's an interesting challenge too, is that like, if, if everybody's talking about it, it's not so non-obvious. So I, I think uh, yeah, that, that raises a, from, a bar high too. Yeah. And we throw stuff, you know, to your point, we throw stuff out all the time. 
Um, so when we go through that first cycle of all of these different stories and potential themes and trends, we'll usually end up with 75 or 80 possible things that could be trends. And eventually it turns into uh, every year there's actually 10 new trends and five trends from a previous report that are reinvigorated. Because the other thing we found is a trend, if it's well predicted a year ago or five years ago, doesn't actually go away. Mm -hmm. It evolves. It changes. Maybe it becomes a little more obvious instead of non-obvious, but it still matters. And so by doing 15 new trends every year, one of the downsides of that we found was we were leaving behind Mm-hmm. Some great trends that were still really explaining the world the way it was right now. Right. But the people were like, oh, that's a 2017 trend. So maybe I won't pay attention to it anymore. When, so we were leaving great stuff on the table. Right. right. It's like leaving these beautiful scenes on the, on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Speaking of the cutting room floor, just, just one other question on that. The, um, I wonder in your process, um, and you talk a little bit about your process actually in the, in the material of the book. I think, it's a, as I've said before, this is a good read. Um, do you return to things in the, let's say if you're saying 75 or 85 and only 10 are new now in your new process to the 65 or 75 that don't make it from a prior year, do any of those return and to consider the consideration set for the following year? The ones that didn't yeah. make it? Yeah. So, um, so every year, like I said, we bring back five from the past, but they're not from the immediate past year. So in the 2019 book, for example, there'll be five older trends, but none of them will be from 2018 mm-hmm. because all of those are still relevant. So I can't pick five, you know, from, from those. The other, uh, the, the rest of those five will be picked from any year between 2017 and 2011. So they could go as far back as 2011. Mm-hmm. And then we just pick like which ones we want to want to bring back. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking even more about the ones that for, say for the, this is getting into the weeds here, but I'm interested in these, in these. Brandon weeds. likes weeds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're going to move on. Uh, so the, uh, you know, the world's in, in, heading in your direction. In writing, thank, thankfully, uh, in writing the 2018 book, you took five trends from 2011 through 27 through 2016. Yes. And then you had a bunch of other ones that had not been in previous uh, books. That ten did new ones. But then beyond those ten, other ones that didn't make it at all, right? The ones that sort of the also ran. The also rans, and that's yes. what I was asking. Like, oh, do, I see. Do, yes. do the prior years also ran get up to the the gates for uh, you know consideration? In yeah. A, in a future um, year? So, uh, yeah, that's an interesting question. So sometimes the themes do, they're not usually described as trends. So for example, I have been waiting, uh, to find a broad encompassing trend for years that I could bring in the whole esports, mm. um, like drone racing and all sure. that sort of stuff that yep. I would bring that into. I would never put a trend in that said esports because it's too basic and too obvious. Yeah. Um, it would have to be a component of something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so far I, I just haven't been able to, to put it as a component into something mm-hmm. might change in 2019. Um, but I've been tracking that for years. Got it. Yeah. That's interesting. Like when, when you start to see signals of things that you know, don't meet your standard for what a trend is, which again, non-obvious, it can't be too broad. It has to be, you know, feel sort of uniquely curated. You have to be able to draw like a little, a little, di- a little drawing to, yeah. to attend it. Have, um, to have a, a pithy uh, hook, yeah. like a, a way to kind of right. encapsulate it. But it also it. has to be, uh, it has to be broad enough. I mean, like I said, all the trends have multiple industries, multiple examples, things happening in different places. And yeah. So if that's not the case, then it won't be in the trend report. 
it can't be too niche or niche. Exactly. Uh, I never know which way to pronounce that. Yeah, uh, tomato, tomato. Yeah, they're they're both they're both pretty good. <laughs> I think one of them's right, but yeah. it's fine. It's uh, fine. Or, or both are accepted. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Who no, knows? Twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. Almost not for much longer. Soon to be twenty nineteen. So, um, so if we are talking about twenty eighteen, maybe let's start there because uh, you know we're gonna try to uh, pump Rohit for information about twenty nineteen because that book will drop and it will be hot yes. and it will drop like it's hot. <laughs> later in this year beginning of next year right so that's typically the the time that is correct but it's almost the end of this year it's time to start uh you know figuring out how did you do this year in 2018 so i think that's where we go next and then through that process if you could give us any teases any uh any hints any uh uh things that might whet the appetite for uh for what might be on the horizon we would, we yes, would love, I hope that isn't a trend. I hope that's, that's <laughs> an obvious Aspirated was. I, think I can we'll fairly uh, certainly say that it's not. So, yes. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, and then also, like, you do categorize some of your trends as, like, uh, education and media related. And yes. uh, we are a learning media podcast that's trying to understand trends. So, like, those in particular are, uh, are really interesting to us. I, I, I would say, like, some of them... Um, you know, manipulated outrage and uh, brand stand in particular. Uh, those are some that we've uh, we've seen thematically recurring really throughout the year. Uh, but uh, but of the fifteen you put out there for for twenty eighteen, uh, how'd you do? Uh, you know what 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 are some that are you're you're getting good scores for? And then uh, you know also I imagine you learn a lot when when maybe you miss a bit. Like how did you miss? And how does that inform yeah, the next so, year? Um, so it's interesting because uh, when you think about the part of the reason we do new trends every year is because things move fast. And when you think about the context of doing a printed book in a world that moves this fast, uh, it's dangerous in many ways because you're afraid that you, your stuff's going to get outdated. Now, I've gotten really good over the years of being – uh, strategic enough with how I describe these trends that um, it's not outdated. Um, and in fact, what ends up happening, what I end up regretting uh, almost immediately as soon as I publish it isn't that I said something that's incorrect. It's that I found another great story that I wished I had included, uh, which is, you know, sort of like, it, it's not a great way to answer a question. It's sort of like going to that job interview and they're like, tell us about your greatest weakness. Well, I work too hard. Yeah, my, like, my that's not a great weakness, man. Like you're just BSing us. My, my humility, my humility <laughs> yeah. is a real problem. But, yeah, but exactly. please, please continue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you know, yeah, my biggest problem is I find so many examples because I'm so awesome. No. Yeah, yeah. But the point is, like, there's all of these stories that could be part of them. So the 2018 report, you know, sitting here in November of 2018, all those trends are still super relevant um, because it was written that way. Um, and there were enough stories and enough examples of things that I knew were going to start to take off that people would start to pay attention to mm -hmm. that um, it's relatively predictable. I mean, it, it's not a, uh, it maybe seems like a strange thing to say that the future is predictable. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have been saying, when, back when I was doing a lot of social media stuff at Ogilvy, I used to say, you don't know what's going to go viral, but I can predict that something's going to fail. Because when you see something, you see it the way that it's done you can tell that it's going to blow up in someone's face, mm -hmm. right? Um, when they say something in a certain way, when they do something in a certain way. And I think that to some degree, when you have enough examples in enough different industries that people are just starting to pay attention to, 
you know that it's going to continue to go. So what usually happens is after two, three, four years, that's where you start to see the drop off, mm -hmm. which is why when we do that appendix at the back of the book every year, the immediate previous years trends are not graded. Right. Because otherwise they would all get an A. Not because we're, you know, full of ourselves, but just they're all still relevant. Like right. The time hasn't passed for quickly enough for them to be irrelevant. Right, right. Because it, it gets back to Brandon's point too, just around like spotting obvious trends is not a big deal. Right. It's more like getting on something ahead of trend is. Yeah. And if I was, you know, if these were fads, then, you know, I'd have to give half of them a D because right. like nobody cares about them anymore. Right. right. They were like hot for a while. And then all of a sudden they were like, no one, no one's paying attention. <laughs> right. Right. And then how about uh, in terms of the learning and uh, the education media space, uh, which trends in 2018 do you think are, are, are most relevant and, uh, and which are maybe surprising, which are, are maybe, you know, you expected the macro trend to happen, but then the way it's manifesting is different or the way uh, it's evolving into something different that uh, you're yeah, seeing down I the think, road? Um, well, so the, the one that really has taken off in the learning, in the education space is light speed learning. Mm -hmm. And that was just a trend that described the expectation that we all have to be able to learn stuff faster than ever. Mm -hmm. And there were so many great examples of that from the eight-year-old kid who taught himself how to drive sure. because he wanted to go to the McDonald's drive through um, to like Fender investing millions of dollars to create this whole platform to help people learn how to play the guitar faster. Because if you get better at the guitar faster, then you stick with it which means you buy more stuff from right. them. Right. Um, so there were great examples and there's more and more examples of that and this expectation that we can go online, we can teach ourselves how to do anything. There's how-to content, there's videos, there's you know, online learning, the explosive growth of online learning right. is another element of that because these things are just an optimal way of learning various uh, topics. Right. And people have figured that out. Right, right. So that definitely has, has taken off. Um, there was another trend that I wrote about that I called data pollution. And you probably imagine what that means. I mean, just so much information floating around, so much data, especially with corporations, that it's akin to pollution. It's mm -hmm. the stuff that you don't need. You'd like a way to filter it out, but you don't know how to. And so it starts to like rise up. And I actually thought that would be a much bigger um, topic because it's such a pain point. Um, and I thought that that would actually take off much more mm -hmm. as a term because I just thought it was an interesting way of describing data in this in the sense of treating it as pollution instead of what most companies do, which is they treat data as the savior. Sure. Um, but it, uh, the way that that was described, or uh, I'm not, sometimes I'm not exactly sure why it doesn't, Yeah. You know, it doesn't take off. It just, <clears throat> it just didn't, um, didn't capture people's attention. Well, it's, it's also interesting in that case too, where like people want to grab hold of a narrative. And if the narrative is it, the thing that we're trying to feel gives us structure in a very chaotic time is more messy than what we want it to be. Even if it's true, people may not want to embrace that story because, because I would actually say data pollution is a really interesting trend and I think it's real, but I feel like we're probably not comfortable yeah. accepting that. Cause like we're the, the believability crisis that you've talked about, we've talked about it as a crisis of truth. I think I like the angle of, positioning that as a crisis of believability you know people want to find expertise or find somebody who actually knows what the heck is going on and frequently the folks who are closest to the data are the latter-day oracles and right. then when you when you give them a trend that is saying like that's actually not 
like they're as confused as the rest of us lots of the time and that the data that they're harvesting is more noise than signal. I think we have a hard time wrapping our heads around that. So like we almost prefer to grab the narrative or grab the trend that it, that is a little more um, uh, almost like reassuring. Yeah. I think that um, there is some of, some of that. Um, There's some resistance sometimes uh, to some of the trends because they do uh, in some way kind of criticize uh, either someone or a direction Mm -hmm. uh, in some cases. So there was a trend in the 2018 report that I called approachable luxury. Mm -hmm. And it was about this idea that the path to success for a luxury brand or someone creating a luxury experience is to make it more approachable as opposed to more exclusive. Mm -hmm. And there are some brands in the luxury industry that, I mean, that's not, what they do. Their goal is the exact opposite. They want it to be as exclusive as possible, as expensive as possible. So the fewest people have access to it because that's what gives it the uh, reputation that causes the few people that go and get it to want it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was not an idea that, that they would respond to mm-hmm. uh, in, in that way, but it was something that's happening. Right. Right. And sometimes what I try and do when I'm writing these trends is not apply judgment to say, look, you should do this or you shouldn't do that. Because really the point is to try and treat them the way a journalist, a good journalist treats a story, which is you're reporting it because it's happening, not because you think this should happen. Right. Yeah. It's one more, if we can talk about from, from 2018, um, like you mentioned it already in the media and education section, the manipulated outrage. Um, it is, I think this, this is dropping on uh, a midterm election day. Correct. So um, hopefully we are not going to, as we're coming in through your learn holes, uh, be contributing to manipulating your outrage. Right. Um, And hopefully you're still voting. Like, don't stay home. Like, listen to us while you're waiting in line to vote. En route. Yes. uh, As they say. Yes. Um, But I I, like that one. There was just, uh, you know, earlier, um, I guess, uh, last week this time, there was a um, a daily, uh, another podcast. Um, uh, episode on one of the far right uh, websites that really boomed during the 2014 through 2016 time. Um, I, I this one just speaks to me. Like I feel on both sides. This is not like one one side's problem. This is this is in both directions. But um, that was um, just per- looking through the trends again from 2018. One that really stood out. Um, take on that. Uh, is that, I mean, I, I know we're giving ourselves all A's at this point because it's too early to give grades, but that <laughs> yeah, one to me is an A plus. Some, yeah. That one, uh, people really did respond to. I mean, and they understood what it meant right when they heard it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that speaks also to just the power of naming things in the right way. Right. I mean, if you name something in such a way that people are like, Oh, I, I, I don't need to read the description. I don't need to read the chapter. I don't need to hear you talk about it. I get it. Manipulated outrage. I get it. And that one has really um, taken off. And, and I think my intent with writing about it was to try and get people to pause for a second and think about whether the outrage that they're feeling, the anger that they're feeling, is because there's something to actually get angry about or is someone benefiting by making you angry. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we do that enough because, it, because the way the headlines are presented to us or the way that our friends are responding to them on social media, all of this kind of reinforces that platform where the first moment you hear that story, at the same time, you get the mood attached to it. So that when you read the story, you also get this clear message that says, you better be outraged about this. This is worth getting outraged about. Right. And we don't take that step back and say, wait a second. Um, is someone intentionally 
doing this, someone intentionally calling me names and someone intentionally creating this fabricated thing to distract me right. from something that's more important. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that we as media consumers, uh, it's too easy to say, oh, all news is fake news. I'm not going to believe anything. I don't think that's true. Um, I do believe that there's facts and there's not facts. Um, and I think that as media consumers, like we have to be more aware of how much manipulation there is and not choose to equate that with fake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how, um, I, I think that's, that's right on. And, um, also I hope that people you know, who've read this or are listening to this are thinking about how manipulable we are, right? Like the, that moment to pause and thinking about like, what's, what's the intent of the content, uh, author, the producer of this content here is it to manipulate in part, like, and because there's, there's in many cases, in the case of this daily episode, because it was, it was financially motivated, right? Mm -hmm. That the more eyeballs you can get on your stuff, the more ad revenue you get, and you know there was a, a sort of calculus that went into it that said the more, the more outrage we can cause, the more money we make. I think if, if people pause to think about, you know, themselves as um, uh, someone that does pick up the mood without even thinking about it, and as someone who can be manipulated. Again, by anybody in either direction, um, I think hopefully that will get us to be better media consumers. Mm -hmm. um, if, we're, if we're a little self-reflective in the moment, it's hard. Right. Yeah, and you know, the thing that, um, one thing that makes it harder, I mean, considering you think about elections, right? And like the most dishonest form of media you will ever find, the, the type of media that should be immediately outlawed, and, and I feel like I can say this because I'm a marketing and advertising guy, is political advertising. It's all lies. And it's the sort of lies that corporations can't do. Like Coca-Cola can't take out an ad saying, let me tell you for 30 seconds how Pepsi's trying to kill you. Right. Pepsi has this product and that product and they're trying to kill you and they're evil. This ad was sponsored by Coca-Cola. Right, right. <laughs> like they can't do that. Right. Yeah. But politicians for some reason can. Right. Uh, and it's such an idiotic double standard um, and it's pure evil. Right. Um, and, you know, even David Ogilvy, like I used to work at Ogilvy, even David Ogilvy, 30, 40 years ago has a, a famous quote where he said, the only form of advertising that should be outlawed is political advertising because it's truly dishonest, right? right I'm totally right. messing up the quote, but basically that's what it said. Right, right. Um, and I think he was right all that time ago and it's still right now. Like, why do we allow this stuff? I mean, I know why, because people want to take the dollars and I get it, but it's, it's just evil um, right. and we shouldn't have it. Right, yeah. Uh... And uh, interestingly, there's a, there's a, there's a number of trends. I'd love to get a couple of hints, maybe as as far as like what you might see coming. But um, you know, over the years, I've seen you talk about uh, desperate desperate detox and mm -hmm. uh, and sort yeah. of the desire to almost react against uh, the the fake news and the crisis of believability that's out there. Is like. Uh, screw it. I'm just going to get off social media. I, yeah, there's I, just, a, I mean, there's, there, there are a couple of trends. So like desperate detox um, was actually a little bit more about us uh, spending too much time on our devices and technology mm -hmm. and realizing that we were doing it, but unable to change our behavior. And so yep. we decided desperately to lock our phone in the locker for, yep. you know, uh, uh, two, three days to go on a camping trip. And this or one, like, this one know. is hugely relevant to education and learning yeah. too, because it's like, how do you incorporate technology into the classroom or keep it outside? So like, right. And there's been, I mean, there's, there's fascinating solutions for that now, right? You think about, there's a platform called Yonder um, where uh, like Yonder without the E 
and uh, they basically sell these Ziploc like bags and you put your phone in it and schools are using it now. So uh -huh. you check your phone into the bag and it gets locked in and you're not allowed to use it. Right. Or you could do what they did in France, which is ban all mobile phone use in schools if you're under 15. Right. And that's the other solution on the government level, right? Right. But all of it is saying the same thing, which is we can't trust our own self-control. Right. Um, and if we had the phone, we would check it. Right. And that's something that I think we have to teach ourselves to be better at. Because, I mean, we have to do the same thing with everything else in our life, right? I mean, if you see a box of donuts, mm -hmm. you don't think, oh, man, I should eat that whole box. Right. Right. You know that you probably shouldn't eat any. And if you eat any, you should maybe just eat one. Right. Your, your donut um, consumption is different. Yeah. Yeah. I need, we, we should. I need, I need Yonder for my, for, for my Duncan's. Put it in a lockbox. It is, it is super relevant though. And I'm, Mike, we, we probably have a, there's a show worth of content out there about the devices in the classroom and not yes. um, return to that topic uh, based on the most, the, the recent Times article for sure. about the, diverging approaches based on socioeconomic status. Non-obvious divergence. Non-obvious, um, which is, uh, you know, anytime there's divergence uh, by class uh, or by um, access is, uh, I think, fraught. Um, but I think it's still worth a, a, a conversation. I think one thing that'd be interesting in, um, uh, Rohit, in, in to do in some of these books is, or with some of these trends, is call out the non-obvious counter trend to these trends. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you think about, you know, um, whatever, take light speed learning, you know, is one that we've talked about because Mike, Mike has raised this point, I think he right, right, rightly so uh, on a number of our pods where for every trend there is a, a, probably not equal, but opposite counter trend. Yeah. And I think some of that, some of that could be, you know, I'm thinking of like, you know, uh, in, in the reverse negative. So black, where there's white, white, there's black in your, uh, in your little designs here. Uh, oh, yeah, what, what idea. the trend, yeah. what the, the sort yeah. of the counter trend might be, because uh, for some of them, it may be that over the long period of time, a decade long look rather than a year long look mm -hmm. that the counter trends actually become the prevailing ones. Right. Yeah, and it's you know, and and as you know, I mean, there's a there's a chapter about counter trends, um, but the way you're describing it, where it's like against each trend, that's an interesting idea. I hadn't really thought about. It's it not obvious. Like that. That's why you hadn't thought yeah, about. Yeah, it. Yeah, 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 well done. We're well trying. Done. We're contributing. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like the creative it. process. The <laughs> flow. A, get him a credit next go around. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but but also you know, and related point I think is just like mega trends, macro trends that that sort yes. of continue over a really long period of time, it's, it's actually like even more profound in that sense where like, you know, is the pendulum swinging back and forth or mm -hmm. are we continuing to move in a, in a macro direction, um, particularly around yeah. polarization, uh, which I think is the interesting one, which to me speaks to the point counterpoint trend counter trend. It's almost like this, like people don't care if there's not anybody on the other side. Like when Brandon and I agree on a show, people are like, that was fine. But when we're like, oh my God, I can't believe you think that. They're like, ooh, 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 keep doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, which yeah. ties to the, the outrage. But, uh, but, but any thoughts on all that? Yeah, I think that there is always um, examples of, of the opposite. Right? Right. I mean, I wrote, a, I wrote an entire trend called Human Mode. And mm -hmm. it was all about how sometimes we want to interact with humans. Someone could easily come along and be like, look, man, if I want to get cash... I don't want a human. I want an ATM mm -hmm. and I want the ATM to be fast. And that's all I want. Right. And if I have to talk to a human to get cash, that's a fail. Right. Um, so obviously there's a place for human interaction and there's a place where you want more automation. So the thing about these um, is you could always talk about the, the opposite. 
Um, but what they're trying to describe is, like you said, um, it's something non-obvious that is starting to take off. And the non-obvious element of it tends to take it in one direction versus the other. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, sometimes they, they will, <clears throat> sometimes they will evolve. I mean, they, so for example, like it was five years ago, I did the first trend about the rise of women. We called it Powered by Women. Mm -hmm. Then three years after that, we did another trend about women called Fierce Femininity. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, that Sasha, was really Sasha popular. Fierce Femininity. Yeah, yeah, yeah I like that it one. It was really popular. Yeah, yeah. And then last year, 20, uh, well, this year, actually, 2018, we did a trend called Ungendered, mm -hmm. which said now there's more and more things that have no gender at all. Right. Next year, there's going to be a trend about masculinity. Ooh. So now it's like- Was know, that our first? That wait, that was, that was our first. Just listeners, that was our first 2019 tease. Oh, that was. Yes. That was. So, keep, yeah. so, so, so tell us more. Yeah, so it's going to be about the question, um, which is what it's kind of become, mm -hmm. which is now the way we're thinking about masculinity on every level. If you think about, like, for example, the, um, the most frequently searched Getty image 10 years ago for father or fatherhood was a dad playing football with his son, and they're tackling each other. And, you know, it's like rough and tumble fatherhood. Today, the most popular images for fatherhood are like dads holding babies, dads yep. painting their toenails with their little girls. It's a totally different version of right, fatherhood. Right, right. Um, and that's part of the shift. That's one of the shifts, right? right. And that's just one piece of masculinity, which right. is, you know, um, fatherhood. Right. Um, there's another whole campaign that uh, Axe Deodorant did um, where they did this Google search correct thing. It was really well done um, video. And it, was, it started with this phrase, is it okay for guys to mm. dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. And then the dot, dot, dot ended up being all these things that guys search for. Is it okay for guys to cry? Right. Is it okay for guys to feel emotion? Is it okay for guys to, um, you know, like cuddling, <laughs> you know, like yeah. all these different things yeah, yeah. Um, that, that we don't often, you know, prescribe to, uh, to masculinity and yeah. just fascinating stuff. I mean, there's another article that just talked about how one of the biggest shifts was um, uh, for kids, uh, at least recently was the Boy Scouts chose to open up and they, they allow girls. Right. But literally no one asked why boys can't join the Girl Scouts. Right. Um, why not? Right. Right. So it's like all of these things that started to come up that just raised this big fat question mark. Right. And what it means to be male. Right. And uh, this is a great example of point counterpoint too, because like the, the, the counter trend is almost like a hyper hyper masculinization <laughs> where like I'm going to be super old school masculine because the, the counter trend is is too soft. You know, and like mm -hmm. both those thoughts, both those trends like coexist in our consciousness. And like, that's why like I, I do, it, we get very zeitgeisty on the show. And, and your book is very, <laughs> uh, very much of that mind. Uh, any other uh, like sort of themes around uh, what may be coming, particularly around like learning, media, education, uh, any, any teases forward? Yeah, there, there is one that's um, gonna be all about, uh, tell you what it's called it's going to be strategic spectacle mm. is the trend mm -hmm. um, and strategic spectacle is really one that we're using to describe this idea that there's more and more experiences that are created just for the spectacle mm. right so if you think about like the museum of ice cream or like these places or these like instagram worthy museums where like you the the whole experience is created so you can walk in take your selfie post it on instagram and walk out it's not trying to be anything else. It's mm -hmm. just, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And they're literally charging people for the spectacle. Right. And that's a thing. <laughs> right. Um, so the questions that that raises, which is fascinating, is you know, what does it mean to capture attention in a world where people are creating spectacles on purpose? Right. 
And you can see the thread of how that perhaps follows from manipulated outrage. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, so a lot of times you'll see this kind of thread going through from one year to the next where a trend evolves and a little, you know, it ratchets up in another area. And so it's really interesting to see when you look at these together. And so one of the challenges we always had was there's a book every year. And so how do you see these threads? Right. So we actually, this past year, we worked with Microsoft and we created this like data visualization of all of the trends. Hmm. So now you can actually look at the trends and you can go onto the non-obvious uh, company website and you can basically see this visualization and click on a trend and see the related trends. Mm. And so for what I talked about where it was powered by women, then fierce femininity, then ungendered, and then the masculine trend, you'll be able to see that thread because they're all related. Interesting. Um, which is really a, a, something that was missing for a long time. Yeah. Um, and then we really benefited from getting people who actually have a job of being data storytellers right. to help us figure out how to tell that story. And then, and then how does this relate? Cause, cause just to, to press a little bit on the learning use case, like if, if you were, like you're, you're an educator, you're a teacher, mm -hmm. uh, you've, you've taught at Georgetown, uh, you're working on, um, you know, guidebooks for folks who want to learn a non-obvious guide to small business marketing, non-obvious guides to different sort of practical yeah, employee engagement and event marketing. Yeah. And, and wearing more your educator hat, uh, and maybe, uh, you know, half educator hat and half uh, trend curator hat. Um, yeah. Like what's different about education these days and, and how do you create compelling learning experiences when all these other complex macro trends are happening? Do you have any, uh, any yeah, perspective that, on um, that? I mean, I remember, um, I think we all remember the teachers that we've had that were really good. And the teachers we've had that were really good um, part of the reason they were good, I think, is because they told us stories that brought their lessons to life in a way that wasn't just memorize this list of bullet points. Mm -hmm. And this value of storytelling in the world, I think, has gone dramatically up. Um, we see storytellers, we hear about storytelling, corporations are focused on storytelling, content marketing has become a huge thing. And all of it leads to this idea that stories are valuable. And if you apply that to the world of learning and education, I think what it means is we don't just want the facts anymore. We expect this to be told to us in such a way that we'll remember it. Mm -hmm. And stories become so much more powerful and important in that. Mm -hmm. So whether you're talking about online learning and virtual learning or whether you're talking about learning in a classroom, the things that stick are the ones that are turned into those sorts of stories so we can remember them and we can understand them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, a thing that's been happening for a long time. Yeah, I think that... Um... I'm just going to riff here for a second. Uh, but I admit, uh, that some of the best teachers also work in non-obvious ways, right? So that they, there's an element of um, surprise or, or break from the ex sort of expected in the classroom. I think to be able to do that well, uh, and the best teachers do do that well, you have to be super prepared, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that like it's dedication to one's craft that is act that, that enables one to do that. Um, but I think that... Um, that, that's something, it'd be interesting, I think, to look at, you know, some of today's most memorable teachers and see if there's anything thematically that, that carry through them. Because um, we, we, th we think at Trending in Education that teachers are still the thing um, here. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, my, my suspicion is that that is one of the things that is thematically consistent, is that you yeah, know, they, they sort of surprise you out of your, uh, like the sort of, 
this comfort zone is not the right language, but from out of the mode that you're in when mm -hmm. you're in in the traditional K twelve setting, yep. it sort of surprises you out of that mode in a way that makes your makes learning actually accessible mm -hmm. and makes those memory of that moment stickier. Yeah, I think that um, I certainly believe that. I mean, I think that uh, a teachers are hugely valuable. Uh, hey, I married a teacher, so you know, I I get that all the time yeah. because I see the value of just that mindset, right? But I also think that there's a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, um, wrote a book called Leverage Learning. Um, and that book talks all about how uh, the world is ready for people who are lifelong learners, but also experts with something to teach. Mm -hmm. And that includes many of us who may not describe ourselves as a teacher because we have opportunities to teach. And I think that's a really interesting way of seeing the world and seeing yourself mm -hmm. as someone who has expertise that is something that could be taught. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, it ties to a lot of the themes we talk about too, just around empathy and diversity too. So like you can learn from surprise, like brand, one of Brandon's trends for this year is kid solving. Oh yeah. And how much kids are like, we're almost flipping the model and uh, kids are becoming the instructors. If you look at, uh, you know, what we learned from Parkland and what we're doing right. really to, right. to watch the rising generation educate maybe some of the, the, the older generations. Mm -hmm. But the idea that like we're all hopefully lifelong learners and also uh, lifelong teachers who, who feel like we have something to offer others. Uh, and we're always looking to learn really from anyone's perspective. Uh, really fascinating stuff. Um, we're coming up on time. Any parting thoughts uh, from you? Uh, like if folks want to learn more about Rohit or about the non-obvious company? Yeah, it's super easy. Just, I mean, you can Google non-obvious trends. Um, I highly encourage you uh, if you're inclined to want new ideas. I mean, I do this weekly uh, email every Thursday morning. Um, so if you want to get that, I mean, there's no cost for that. It's yeah. just you sign up on, on the website and you get it. Right. Uh, so you can go to the non-obvious company website, just nonobviouscompany.com. You can go to my personal site, which is rohitbardava.com mm -hmm. uh, any of those places you can you can sign up pretty easily and stay curious stay non-obvious uh, keep on listening uh, Brandon and Rohit thanks uh, thanks for a wonderful show and to our listeners we'll be back again uh, same uh, trending in education time uh, same red, trending in education channel and uh, yeah thanks a lot uh, for, for your time <laughs>